for the Tuesday night Longhorn live stream. I've got Rod B along with Justin Wells, uh, and we're going to talk a little Longhorn sports today. Justin's sporting uh, the original Tampa Bay Devil Rays hat. I had to ask him because I couldn't quite make out what the heck that was. Uh, guys, uh, we're about five days away from Texas heading to Baylor. Night, night game in Waco. Uh, Longhorns 3-0, and the Bears 1-2. and uh, We've got some uh, news uh, coming up uh, as well as some recruiting information. Justin and, uh, is going to uh, give us. Uh, Jerry was down in Mobile today, uh, earlier this week, or earlier today, uh, visiting with K.J. Lacey and Ryan Williams. Uh, it's going to be a, a it should be a good show. We're also going to take your questions uh, as well uh, tonight. Uh, Rod and Justin, uh, Rod, I haven't talked to you since uh, I guess I talked to you on Sunday night. Uh, any uh, lingering thoughts uh, on the win over Wyoming and what the Longhorns are now looking at uh, going to Baylor? Um, well, I, I guess the biggest, I don't know, biggest issue for me, I guess, coming out of the Wyoming game. Um, like a lot of Longhorn fans, was the uh, the inconsistency in the passing game. Um, if, if And Sark's always talking about getting better week to week. Um, you can make the argument that Texas didn't necessarily get better uh, from week two to week three. We definitely saw them get better from week one to week two. Uh, so that'll be the challenge, right? You want to see this team. This team gets better every week. Man, the thought of the possibilities at the end of the season uh, are, you know, that, that'd be tremendous. All right. Uh, I do think that the, uh, the opening script for Sark, right, is something that he's going to emphasize in this Baylor game. I think he wants to get back uh, to a, a team that can start fast, uh, can start by putting points on the board and start with some early confidence. So even though this is a fourth quarter team, because they've proven that so far this year, that is an accomplishment, by the way. We're not giving, I think, Sark and the team enough credit for. They haven't been a fourth quarter team in his first two years here at Texas, and that was one of our biggest complaints. Hey, you got to go win games in the fourth quarter, respond to adversity in the fourth quarter, second half adjustments, right? The chess match within the game. Those are all boxes that Sark is checking right now. This team is checking, showing they got a lot of fortitude and a lot of grit. So they, they are cultivating the clutch gene. That's a great thing. Um, but if they don't get off to faster starts, it'll come back to haunt them. Um, but I think I'm more complimentary of what I've seen from this team in clutch time than I am critical of what they haven't done necessarily to start these games off high. Hey, Rod, uh, just real quick, what did you, in, in your review of the game, further review, what did you see you thought in the passing game that uh, was both encouraging going forward and perhaps uh, discouraging as well? Um, well, I think the, uh, obviously the discouraging thing is, in Sark's right, it seems to be a different issue. It's not the same issue every time that you can address, right? It's, you know, is it is it Quinn Ewers, you know, lacking, you know, poise in the pocket, uh, him, you know, happy feet at times. Sometimes it could be mechanically with him. Uh, sometimes it's receivers dropping the balls. That's been a big thing, right? Saw one of those early in the game. Uh, saw penalties, guys getting distracted early on in the game. Um, and then I think Stark even blamed himself. And I'll give him credit for that. He's very forthcoming, honest about, hey, Game plan wasn't the best game plan. And I'll say, by the way, I agreed with the initial game plan. I'll, I'll back Sark on this. Yeah, every time you come up with a game plan, it's not always going to be effective. But game plans are initially, the, they are created to match up your strengths with the opponent's weakness. And the weakness of Wyoming was their secondary. And your strength is your passing offense. Your J, you know, A.D. Mitchell, J. Witt, X-Men, J.T. Sanders, uh, Quinn Ewers in the passing game. 
presenting defense with a mathematical equation they cannot solve. So that's where Sark went early on. Was like, nah, we're gonna man, we're gonna put them away. We're gonna just you know eviscerate them in the passing game. They can't match up. And and listening to uh, Coach Bowles after the game, he said their number one priority uh, going into that game was to insulate and protect their secondary from isolated one-on-one matchups with Texas. That, that was their entire that was more their entire game plan was like, we're not going to let our DBs in a one-on-one with them Texas guys. That is ain't happening. And they did a really good job of that. Turns out that was a really good countermeasure to what Sark was trying to do in that game. And I think it didn't add up. What I love about it was Sark decided the adjustment was, let's go to the running game. And they were able to pound the rock in the running game. So that I did like the fact that Sark's adjustment it, it, it was something that you could clearly recognize that he decided to go 12 personnel. Uh, there was actually a certain formation that he used, I think about nine out of 13 plays in the second half. And he decided to pound the rock um, and ran the ball out of necessity. Maybe so, uh, but they were able to do it to win the game. So I, I didn't like the fact they were inconsistent, but I really love the fact that Sark adjusted and was able to go find a way to win the game in the fourth quarter, which is what this team's been doing all year long. I feel like if, if we look at it that way, um, it, it's almost like it. And this is what Sark was talking about with winning the game in a variety of ways. Uh, right, Rod? That's what you're saying, basically. Yeah. They, the, the, the passing game wasn't working. Um, is there anything that you would look for Texas to do better to improve that passing game? Um, you know, it's interesting. I, the Bama, like the Bama script was, was, was a great script, best script that Sark has had so far this year. Yep. And it was all about getting Quinn. You was in a groove, getting him in a rhythm early, the quick high percentage, short passes, easy completions for Quinn yours. I think it got him confident, got him in a groove. You've said it, Bobby, honestly, the more I think about it and watch film on Quinn, I think your uh, analysis was astute, uh, that you think he's just a streaky quarterback. And at times, almost like a streaky shooter in basketball, you want to they want to see the ball go through the hoop first, um, and then they kind of get confidence and they get a rhythm. I think there's a lot of that with Quinn. When Quinn doesn't uh, have those easy buckets early on, like in this Wyoming game, it really does kind of throw him in a funk at times, and he 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 doesn't get get streaky uh, like you would like to see him get. I think that's part of Sark's. That's going to be Sark's challenge to get him in a rhythm and get him in a groove. And that's what we saw in the Bama game. And when you see that Quinn. Oh man, it's a scary Quinn to deal with because he's confident, um, and he's a he's he's more of a rhythm passer. The ball is getting out really quickly. Uh, we haven't seen that Quinn consistently, and I think that's what you need in the passing game. Remember, Sark wants his offense to operate on schedule. That means balls out, right? That means first read most of the time. That's ideally how Sark wants it to go. And when it's not happening like that, you can tell even Quinn Ewer struggles at times when he's got to work through progressions and get to the second third read that's when you get Quinn Ewers looking like a little confused looking a little bit jittery and shaky in the pocket sometimes I think I wonder if they shouldn't move him around a little just so you know just get him just get him active because when he gets involved in the offense and active in the offense I think he also he starts feeling it a little bit quicker too hey Justin uh talking about recruiting now I want to head over in that direction before we start taking questions uh from everybody here uh, on this weekend or this night's uh, Longhorn live stream. Uh, Brandon Baker, big offensive lineman out of Santa Ana Mater Day, uh, announces on September 24th, this coming Sunday, the Longhorns uh, thought to be one of the leaders. Steve Wiltfong, one of my former co-workers over at 24-7, uh, gets a lot of uh, love for when he drops a crystal ball or an RPM pick. Uh, he did that for Texas today with uh, Brandon Baker, the five-star offensive tackle. 
What's the latest uh, that you've heard out of out of him? That tech it was Texas was the consistent team in that it was basically going to come down to the Longhorns and or Oregon or Ohio State. He went back and forth with those two programs a lot. I know he had a brother that played at Oregon. I think that relationship was from an early, you know, built at an early time. And then with Ohio State, there was always an allure there of going to to Columbus. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, Jerry and Hamilton and I put in an RPM for for Baker to Texas probably two weeks ago. Uh, we, we felt like the commitment date was coming soon, and we felt like Texas had trended in the right direction. Remember, he came on campus in, in August. I'm in August in a it, during the uh, springtime, and I can't remember if it was for the spring game or what. But he came in early with a lot of family in that first time. Then he comes back for his official visit. Texas does a tremendous job, and so now I think we're kind of in the uh, wait, wait till we get to Sunday period. Uh, Texas remains in, in the best position right now, uh, not to give much away, but I think the horns are, are in good shape right now. Yeah. Any other things going on in recruiting right now, waiting on Kobe black, waiting on Ryan Wingo, everything from you've heard that that visit this weekend with Ryan Wingo went well. Yeah. You know, the Wingo team came in large, like they brought <laughs> eight different members of the family. Uh, and, and, and people asked me last week, you know, what what did Texas and what does Texas need to do with Wingo this weekend? And what, what do they need to accomplish? I said they need to they need to bring the coffee because it's time to close this thing. <laughs> and they did exactly that. It was like you could smell Folgers coming out of that place by Friday night. <laughs> and so family loved it. I caught up with Ronnie Wingo, his father, on at Sunday at the airport. Had a great trip. A uh, lot, lot, lot of family, a lot of friends. Uh, I think Ryan left with a good sense of where he could potentially be playing in the future. He's still going to take a visit to, to Missouri this weekend for, for a game. Don't forget that stadium is literally five miles from his house. And so he's going to check out that game. Oh, right now? No, no, no. Oh, is Missouri playing in St. Louis this weekend, not in Columbia? Yes. Who are they playing this weekend? I don't know, but they're playing in that dome, the old St. Louis Rams dome. Yep. Wow. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. Trans world. It used to be trans world dome. I think something got it. I thought he was going to Columbia actually being in St. Louis is a different story than going all the way to Columbia. Cause that's like two, an hour and a half, two hours away out of St. Louis. Yeah. So that means I, I thought the game was in uh, that's, that's actually a little bit of a news, Jason. All right, Jay, Justin, we, we wrote that earlier, Bob. Oh yeah. But you're right. You're right. Um, I'm, we're now okay. We're on the same page now, Bobby. We yes. got to get right, Bobby. All right. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, with Wingo, that's another thing. Like Missouri is going to be the other team. That that's it's down to Texas and Missouri. Uh, he maintains he wants to wait until the end of the end of the year. I don't see that happening at all. In a lot of these cases, Bobby, the the, the kids that had proclaimed, "I'm going to wait till December," I think they're all going to bat zero. I don't think any of them are going to wait till December. I think Kobe Black could be one that drops a little bit, uh, a, a little bit sooner than later in a lot of these regards. But here's the big factor with Ryan Wingo before we go to someone else. Colin Simmons really asserted himself in that family this weekend. Colin <laughs> Simmons actually went to Ryan and Ronnie and pulled him to the side and had a conversation with him for 20 minutes about what he wants in this class and who he needs to, to, to bring with him. Colin Simmons made himself a factor in this recruiting that he hadn't really done before with Ryan and or his, and his family. And to me, I think that just boosts Texas chances of landing the, the industry ranking five-star out of uh, St. Louis. Hey, before you go to the next guy, I got to ask, there's a, a report out that Colorado is trying to make a play now for, 
for uh, Ryan Wingo. Right. What what's the deal with that? I mean, they're going to throw Colorado's going to throw out offers. Yes. Say that again, please. Uh, Colorado's going to throw out offers, right? This is the prime time for them to sit throw out offers, mm-hmm. no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> because the next two weeks of games might be a little different. They may not have the momentum that they've got right now. I just watched a 60-minute special earlier I had recorded. It was a, an interview with Deion Sanders. That's the second time they had been to see him in a year. Wow. And they, and they don't usually do that. They did a Jackson State profile last year. Mm-hmm. And so, I, listen, be prepared. Tim Brewster will offer everybody and your child. Um, <laughs> he will remind you that he's lit. Yep. And that he's turnt. Um, he always likes to text those, yeah, you know, those terms. Lots emojis. Of emojis. Um, <laughs> I expect Colorado to offer a lot of a lot of high night high name, high end kids, Bobby. And I expect them to land a handful, especially in the southeast and Florida region. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, right, uh, talking to uh, Justin Wells and Rod Babers of On Texas Football and Inside Texas. Uh, This is the Tuesday Night Live Stream. Uh, The Tuesday Night Live Stream, guys, is brought to you uh, by the folks uh, over at uh, uh, Energy Texas. Energy Texas is for Texans uh, by Texans. Uh, When you you need an energy plan uh, that is just baked up for you purposely, uh, you can switch your plans each and every month. So basically one month it could be Heavy on on this, and the next one it could be heavy on the other the other aspects of what you need. Each and every month they have a flex plan. You do it the way you want to do it. EnergyTexas.com, 855-461-1129. That's 855-461-1129. Check out their website, EnergyTexas.com, to see all of the details. Uh, it's an interesting deal. Uh, I have a, uh, someone that uses it myself. Uh, I don't personally use them, uh, but I have someone that does use them and, and really enjoys the flexibility of their plans. Hey, uh, Rod and, and Justin, let's get to some comments and questions here. I think we're ready to go with some and, and really get into this a little bit. All right. Are you guys, Rod, this goes back to Quinn Ewers. Are you concerned with him missing targets? Did he really miss bad other than maybe one ball on Saturday? The ball to Xavier Worthy that he overthrew that Worthy was wide open on? Yeah, and that was the Jay Witt one early on, right? With Jay Witt's in the slot, he runs like the out pattern, and that's yep. usually a pretty easy completion for him. And, and he was, it, it was clear that he was off, right? That Quinn was a little off early on in that game. And the reason that it's curious because it's because it was it was clear based on the you know the play selection that their plan was to attack via the pass and attack the secondary of Wyoming. So the plays that there's a place that he was comfortable with that they had already run in practice, part of the script. So him being off a little bit, that's a little strange, but Sark, remember Sark said they threw some things at him um, in terms of presentation that he, that they weren't prepared for that, that Wyoming had a really good game plan that some of the looks that they had given uh, Texas in that game were not looks that they had put on film previously. Now, some people say, oh, well, I thought you knew they ran the three high. Just because you run the three high, you can run certain coverages and pressure packages out of those three high, uh, that three high presentation. And I think that's what Sark's talking about. So maybe that's something that maybe confused Quinn a little bit early on about the, the different you know coverages and looks that they were presenting out of that three high. Not really sure, but he did look shaky. There's no doubt about that. And um, that's a little concerning, but to me, the, the best thing about it was that Sark could lean on the running game at that point. I was it was just troubling that he couldn't get him back into a groove. You know, it's cool for your quarterback to look shaky at one point, one series, but you should be able to get him back 
into a rhythm. And I don't, I don't know if I ever saw Quinn in a rhythm the entire game, actually. Interesting. Yeah. Hey, uh, Justin, this, I'm going to push this one over to you, Mud. Uh, we saw first extended action for Jamon Tapp after Chris Ross went out with injury uh, on Saturday night. Do you think we'll see more of Jamon Tapp in certain sack packages on Saturday, like last game? I, I think he just takes the reps away from uh, Chris Ross, most likely. What do you think, Justin? You know, Bobby, for, for over a year, we've been hearing about him making explosive-like plays. In, in practice, this is a guy with some suddenness and athleticism out of Louisiana. Some of the greatest post-game commentary and, 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 and quotes for a recruit that you're ever going to hear. You know, Jamon is real, and, and that's why we love him. But understand, he had three tackles on that final drive of loan. He was active in sideline to sideline. Playing on an edge, he was still going on the other side of the field. Jamon's a guy that once he got settled in, understood his role and understood what he can and can't do. Now we're seeing him flourish because he had been kind of hot and cold in the last year and a half on campus. He had done some things really well and, and not as not so well. We've seen more of that come to fruition. I love that last drive. I wrote about it in our, in the PFF grades uh, post on set on Sunday about Jamon Tapp was everywhere. It was, I think it was an eight play drive and Jamon Tapp was almost involved in every single facet of that, of that drive. That, to me, shows you in the video session, hey, okay, you're going to get more reps. We're going we're to have to find a few more spots, a few more areas. You're going to have to get more reps. And that's coming off Chris Ross, who is make, getting pressure on the quarterback, who's actually making some plays that we necessarily didn't expect. I thought Tap would be a guy that played a little earlier. Now I think he's got some proof to go with the pudding. I ask you this as it relates to Jamon Tap. We actually didn't see Jare Bledsoe. Against no snaps. I, I guess Wyoming. Wow. Really odd. Is that because they were so run heavy and uh, Jare Bledsoe? Is that what does that mean for Baylor? Are they not going to use Jare Bledsoe as much for Baylor if that's the case? That's I mean, either, either yeah. of you guys have thoughts on that? I think it could be situational. We've seen even uh, we talked about the secondary. Seems like there's some situational rotation happening there. Uh, we even saw it with. The adjustment with David Benda playing more after Anthony Hill, you know, had one mistake of, you know, missing a gap and he wasn't as run sound. They put someone that was a little bit more stable. So I think you could be seeing some situational rotations because they're so deep and they believe in their depth, man. You're seeing Derek Williams in that secondary safety play, what, third series of that game. I mean, they're putting those guys, some of those guys in early. So, and they're, they're in late in crucial clutch situations too. Uh, so maybe the, the mentality's changing uh, just about when they play guys and how they're going to play certain guys. Could be. All right. Uh, going to go to the next question. Rod, I'm going to stay with you on this. Uh, from Patrick Smith, besides personnel, how did Georgia scheme to beat TCU's 3-3-5 in the national championship? They didn't just beat TCU. They obliterated them. Yeah. Um, can Sark scheme the same way versus the 3-3-5? I want to say this before even you say anything. Georgia put a bunch of men on the field. That was part one. They put a bunch of men on the field in that game. Yeah. That's part of the reason why they beat TCU so bad. But what about the scheme itself, Rod? Um, I, I, that's a great question. Um, and I'm going to go back and kind of, you got to go back and kind of watch the film. I, I think the best way to attack the 335, and you see even Sark resort to it, if you can pound the rock and you can play bully yes. ball, if you can do it, that's the best way to go. The simplest solution is always the best one play bully ball. And we saw this in the, even in the NFL, right? We saw, uh, man, at Bill Belichick, 
Uh, go look at the game versus Miami. He broke out the three high versus uh, Miami because Miami plays a lot of RPOs. They run a lot of RPOs, and it's it's really good to distort the pre-snap read for the RPO moving those three highs around. And also because, you know, he wanted to insulate himself from all that speed that Miami's throwing at yeah. you uh, with Jalen Waddle uh, and, of course, Tyree Hill. Hill yeah. yeah. So what did Miami do? Miami ran the rock. Um, and, and Minnesota did the same thing against Philadelphia. Also, Philadelphia runs a lot of RPOs, right? And they got two receivers that can really threaten you vertically down the field. So they ran some of that three high, too. And Philadelphia ran the rock. They had over 200 yards rushing. I think DeAndre Swift had a career yard, career uh, day in uh, rushing yards. My point being, if you can run the rock, just like Sark did against Wyoming, who was running some of that three high, they just pounded it. Uh, and really, you can, you can really force them to have to play uh, kind of old school rush defense, gap sound rush defense instead of slinging run fits. And they always say just because there are six or seven guys in the box doesn't mean there are just six or seven guys in the run fit. You can have guys that are in the fit, but not in the box. And that's kind of what the three highs based on, too. There are guys, he's, he's in that run fit. He's just not in the box, not being counted. And you can sling those guys around. So that is part of it, too, why it matches up really well. But I will say if you can play bully ball, bully ball. I think Sark also is going to break out a lot of empty formation next time he faces the three high defense. That's another way to stretch. What you want to do with the three high, stress it, right? So either make them have to commit to run defense, which they do when you go heavy personnel like Sark did with 12 personnel versus Wyoming and just ran the rock. He also broke out some 21. He wants to run the rock. Or you stress them horizontally, formationally, and force them to reveal their hand because they would have to get to their alignment and assignment. And there's no more pre-snap disguise when you're running empty against three high, against any coverage or any presentation. They're going to get to their alignment and assignment right away. So I think the way to stress the three high is really to, to force them to show their hand. And you can do that formationally and with different personnel packages and or playing bully ball. Once you start rock, pounding the rock against three high, trust me, they will get out of it. And they will bring guys down into the box. <laughs> and you won't have to worry about three high anymore because they'll be just playing single high. That's just the way it is. But you got to be able to assert yourself in the run game. Especially if they can't set the edge. I think that's a big key with that 3-3, three, three, that, that front six or whatever, setting the edge. Because if you don't do that, you're literally in the, you're, you're at their mercy at this point because that's when you could start really banking off other stuff. That's really good stuff, Rod. Yeah. Hey, Justin, I'm going to stay on you because this is a good one. Uh, what what do we need to do to get out to a fast start on Saturday? Justin, you go first. Rod, I want you to answer this one as well, if you don't mind. All right. Well, with the game being in Waco, don't drink the water. Uh, <laughs> make sure. I mean, I mean you weren't specific. Um, and just make sure the big thing is, you know, bring your offense with you and bring your aggression. Bring that bring that mentality of attacking. You know, Sark, Sark had an interesting quote Monday in his press conference. He says, we don't need to be a punching bag where people are constantly taking shots at us. We have got to be the aggressor. Go into Waco with a better team, with, a more, with more talent, because crazier things have happened in that place, especially since McLean Stadium has been open. That's something you got. You know, Baylor doesn't have a lot of confidence, but – they have this is their big game. Aranda admitted most people come up to him during the season and say, "Hey, can you beat Texas this year? Just beat Texas. That's all they want. That that's the thing they're relying on. You're going to get the very best from Baylor on Saturday. That they've got you've got to match that early. Match that energy. Match that that aggression. Listen, Baylor still has a 
they've got some guys on the O-line that aren't bad. They still have a decent D-line, okay? And Richard Reese scares the dog out of me at tailback. That's a guy, I think, out of Belleville that, that's an actually a really good tailback. But at the end of the day, to get a fast start, you have to keep that aggressiveness. I'd love to see C.J. Baxter back in the lineup because we saw at the early couple drives against Alabama, they were feeding Baxter. Listen, that's going – once he's healthier, once he's at his peak, that's what you're going to see more of. Be aggressive with that guy, especially with that three-three-five. That's only asking you to pound Brooks and his boy. I got to say yeah. this. Uh, you mentioned okay. You mentioned Baxter. People don't realize this. He had 15 touches against Alabama. 11 he, was a, carries. he was a major factor. I'm I know. 11 carries in the game four, plan. Four receptions. That's 15 touches for a true freshman in his second game on campus. Rob, what do you think? What does Texas need to do to get out to a fast start on Saturday? Uh, and that's a good point, Bobby. I want to say the first damn play went to C.J. Batson. It was an empty yeah. formation. They threw that screen out there to him. So, yeah, yeah. it's clear that Sark would like him to be part of the identity of the running game, right? We just haven't been able to do it because of him uh, having some injuries early on. But anyway, how to start fast. I think in this game, what I would do is I, I would go some heavier sets early on, like some 12 and some 21. I know everybody wants 11. I get it. Um, but I would go some heavier sets and maybe throw out of heavy sets early on and even on some of those early downs. And I know it sounds like, oh, man, what do you mean? You're going to throw out of heavy sets and early downs. Well, what I would do, I want to present to Baylor that, hey, man, we're going to run the rock. I want them threatened with that. And even on early downs, they're going to be thinking run, especially with 12 out there. And actually the best passing personnel grouping for Sark in the last two years has actually been 21 personnel. He's, it's, it's deadly for Sark. Why? Well, because defenses, they'll usually allow more favorable matchups for the offense on the outside because they're preoccupied with those heavy personnel. I got to stop this run. Oh, we're going to get bullied. We're going to get pushed around. And they did that against Alabama, actually. Remember? He played a lot of 12 personnel against Alabama and threw the ball almost 50% pass rate out of 12 personnel. Had Bama think and run and then flipped the script on them. Did the same thing on early downs when they threw the ball up to 70% early down pass rate, a first down pass rate, I should say, in that Bama game through the first three quarters. I would go heavier, like make everybody's thinking run, and then you know get Quinn some easy one-on-one matchups on the outside after they start devoting – uh, you know, allocating resources to stop the run. If they don't, if they don't, and they decide, hell, we ain't going to allocate resources to stop the run, oh, that's great. Because, <laughs> Quinn, let's check into a run play, and let's just run downhill on this favorable box we got the numbers in. So I would I would switch it up a little bit. I'd come out on and, and go heavy on them and throw out a heavy, but if they don't adjust and they, you know, they want to continue to have numbers in the passing game, that's fine. We'll just – Take the numbers you're going to give us in the running game and run the damn ball down your throat. You choose. I'll give you the opportunity to choose your poison. All right. Uh, that's Rod Babers and Justin Wells of Inside Texas and On3. Uh, I'm Bobby Burton. This is the Tuesday night live stream. The Tuesday night live stream is brought to you, the folks, at Energy Texas. Energy Texas is your, in, in the state of with deregulated energy, you get to choose often which le- electric company you want. Give energytexas.com a try. Just visit the website. Look through their various plans. They have a special one going on right now that's a flex plan that allows you to change your plan each and every month. Uh, Give them a shout at 855-461-1129 or visit them at www.energytexas.com. That's www.energytexas.com. We appreciate their sponsorship of each and every Tuesday night live stream. Hey, uh, Justin, this was for you, buddy. 
Jerry <laughs> likes beef jerky on the road. What's your go-to? Skittles? Ooh. I'm guessing Skittles for you. This is good. No, man. <laughs> I, that's too much sugar. Um, my go-to is is Starbucks. Uh, oh, lots, lots of coffee. Whew. You know, these some of these drives are, are long, man. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a coffee fanatic. Uh, I actually like beef jerky, too. Great protein. It's a good snack for you driving on the road. You don't want to eat junk food because on the road, that's a lot of what you're going to come across. Uh, but at the end of the day, man, it's Starbucks. I got to start there. Probably need a little kick about four. And then when I'm headed home from the stadium at about 11 o'clock at night, I try to I have to go to get a little bit of gas station stuff. But Starbucks, <laughs> is, Starbucks is my go to. That's fair. That's fair. Just a Z from the T with Super Chat here. It's How good. many silent commitments? Hand signal, please. I'd uh, show you. But I can't find my, How about that? More than one. I can't find my fingers right now, but there's there's some there. <laughs> uh, all right. Rod, going back to you, buddy, uh, from John Mozzie. Uh, what are Baylor's strengths and weaknesses offensively? How do we stop uh, Richard Reese? We've been talking about Richard Reese. Don't so forget not. about Dominic Richardson. Yeah. The transfer from Oklahoma State. I think he leads them in rushing right now, by the way. Yeah, he's a good um, player. So uh, what are their strengths and weaknesses offensively? Well, right now it's going to be it's, – it's going to it's got to be the running game. Uh, Sawyer, they do not want Sawyer Robertson throwing the football a lot. I mean, they just – you don't want that. You don't want him in third and long. You don't want him in predictable passing situations. Um, you know, he can, he, he can become a liability for them real quickly. So on the flip side of that, if you're Texas, that's exactly where you want him. So you got to win first down. I think and it, this is one of those games where first down is crucial for the Texas defense. You win first down against this defense, this offense with Sawyer Robinson as the quarterback. Uh, to me, that's half the battle. Then you're going to be in second and long, and then they're going to be on third and long. Uh, and that's exactly where you want him at third and long. He is turnover prone. When you get them in uh, predictable passing situations, so I think that's the big part of this is their 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 strength right now is almost they're forced for their their strength to be their running game because they lost Blake Shapen. Blake Shapen, I I was actually a fan of Blake Shapen. I thought Blake Shapen, you know, last year I took he had regressed a little bit, but I thought Blake Shapen gave them a chance to win uh, because he was a playmaker at that position. And now without Blake Shapen, man, that offense it's just um, it's lackluster. Um, it does lack that playmaking element at quarterback. I think Texas should take advantage of that. They want to build this offense around the running game, and that's Texas' strength defensively. They can shut down the running game, and they can force them to be a passing team. That's where I think the matchup favors Texas tremendously. One right. thing I got to ask you: Did you watch any of that Long Island Baylor tape from last week? I just watched uh, the highlights of it. I haven't watched the whole thing. Did you see the the throwing motion for their quarterback? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a, does it come from the hip? Well, where is it? Is it, is it come from the it, hip? It looks where like Uncle Rico when he flicked that steak <laughs> in Napoleon Dynamite. I mean, this little dude. And let me tell you something. He put We're not talking about Sawyer Robertson. We're talking about no. the Long Island quarterback. Long Island quarterback. Yes, yes, yes. yes. yes he yes, was a yes. left-hander. He threw, he threw oh. almost underhanded. Unique, most unique throwing motion in college football easily, in my opinion. I haven't seen anything like it. You got to go try to – it's crazy. I'll tell you, he has an interesting throwing motion as well. Is Cam Ward out of Washington State? Watch him. It's not. Oh, yeah. It's not typical. He's terrific. He's it's from Texas, not, right? Isn't he? From yeah. Texas? Oh, yeah. He's originally. He, he played it Incarnate Word for yes, DJ Kenny before transferring yes, transferring up yes. to Washington. Cam State. Ward is the Texas high school football quarterback. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's what we we're saying. Um, yeah. All right. So one thing I would add uh, to this strengths and weaknesses offensively uh, that and y'all were talking about getting upfield and being aggressive. That's kind of what. Uh, 
Dave Aranda and Jeff Grimes want teams to do to them. Uh, they want teams to be overly aggressive and then not stick in their lanes. That's that's part of that outside zone play, right, Rod? Is yeah. If you, if, if you get over aggressive defensive linemen, they kind of take themselves out of the play. Yeah, that's what the linemen want. The linemen will just they'll let you get go where you're going. They just kind of they want to move you to where you want to go. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's yep. exactly right. Yeah, you got to be gap sound. That's that's basically what you want to be versus Baylor. You want to be gap sound. And I think Texas understands. You know, gap integrity is going to be big in this game. I haven't seen uh, Soy Robertson run a little bit. Uh, they they run with him a little bit too. I don't think he's necessarily a a, a weapon, um, but they will run him uh, on certain situations, mostly in the red zone. I believe. Yeah. He's a former uh, big time baseball prospect. He was going to be like a major league outfielder at one point. Texas recruited him. Uh, oh, really? I think it was Lubbock, uh, Coronado, Lubbock, Coronado, maybe. Mm. Um, and so Texas was actually in the mix a little bit. He he committed to Mississippi State and Mike Leach. He was going to an offense that that th- th- was wow. going to throw the ball all around. But he has a sneaky athleticism, which I think is something that he's actually good at because he was a tremendous baseball prospect playing center field. Yeah, his dad was a first-round baseball pick, by the way. Yep. Um, oh. Hey, uh, one of the things I, I want to say, you mentioned him not necessarily being a, an effective passer, Rod, at this point in his career, 45% on the year for Sawyer Ooh. Robertson. Yeah, so, I was doing, Yeah, I was being kind. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Hey, Robert Muhammad has a good one here for us, I think. Um, what happened against Wyoming happens quite a bit in sports after a big win. I would agree with Robert. Do you mm-hmm. expect Texas to come out stronger against Baylor, given Texas's history after a slow start? Um, you know, Sark said this on Monday, and he was disappointed in, in his start. And he said that he's done it a couple times now. Um, and uh, we remarked in the post-game show, Rod, that where they they come out, they've been coming out slow and finishing strong the last few weeks. Yes, they right. Yep. This is the anti-Sark that we're <laughs> used to, right? Um, in many ways, you would rather end good than end bad, so that matters. But why can't you have both? Um, if you put them on, put it on them early, it makes them play catch up and maybe get outside their comfort zone on offense a little much. Um, the opponent get out of their comfort zone. Uh, what, what do you think about Robert Muhammad's uh, comment here that it happens quite a bit in sports? Coach Coach Bowles said that uh, in his post game, the Wyoming head coach. He said literally those words. He said, "Well, after big games like that, football teams who win usually tend to be distracted the next week." He said that was literally baked into their game planning and preparation that Texas will be distracted at the Bama. Yeah. And he's an old ball coach. He knows ball. He, you know, he's been around a long time. And he was right. Right. That Bama game, it 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 lingered, all right, for Texas. And they were distracted for whatever. I'm sure different players distracted for different reasons, but they weren't focused. And the, the, the best example of it is the first drive for the offense. Right. They didn't have any pre-snap penalties versus Bama. Then first drive, they have a pre-snap penalty that uh, drops early on. So, yeah, they, the guys weren't focused and he knew that. And that was part of why they want to come out and kind of punch Texas in the mouth. Turns out that 60 something yard run was a great way to punch Texas in the mouth early on. And I do think this game against Baylor, because now in the you have Bama so far in the rearview mirror now. Right, you get two games removed from it now. I think you'll get, and they in there, I think in a lot of people's minds, they underachieved in that game versus Wyoming. 
probably should have had a more comfortable lead. Probably shouldn't have had to win that game in the fourth quarter. I think now the coaches can get back to being a little bit more critical of the guys. Hard to be uber critical of them after that Bama game. I'm sure everybody was feeling good. Lots of jokes being cracked. Now, oh, yeah, we're getting back to coaching. Now we're going to get back to coaching them up now. <laughs> and I think that's going to help these guys out a ton that Baylor game. Yeah. It gives them an opportunity to really to, to get their attention, the players' attention, yes. right? No hey, I'm still a little more concerned about Wiener Boy's little official uh, – I guess that's your mark. Yeah, uh, little 12. <laughs> little 12 officials' bias than I am about Baylor. The last time we had a marquee event like this in Waco where Grant Taft was retiring uh, back in the n- early 90s uh, – our, our guys up in Waco did Texas a, a disservice uh, officiating. I mean, it was horrible. There were three or four calls, a fumble, a, a fumble, a play that wasn't a fumble called a fumble. I mean, just a number of different things. Yeah. Uh, and it was a home, it was home cooking from the officials back then. Y'all think we're going to see any of that stuff uh, this year? I mean, a couple of those calls on Saturday night were just, I mean, look, I can, I can understand a bad pen, pe, pass interference call like against uh, Terrence Brooks from where it came from line judge should have never thrown that, thrown that flag, but the, the wrong spot of the ball at the eight yard line instead of the 12. Terrible. I I mean, (laughs) are we going to see more of that? Justin, what do you think? We're going to see more of that this year than, than perhaps we have in the past. Well, you have to ask yourself, is Kevin Mars group going to be officiating the game in Waco? Uh, I think that tells you that's like GI Joe. No one's half the battle. Um, you're going to have some issues up there. I'm just telling you right now, don't get it twisted, but they're not going to be blatant. I really don't think they're going to be blatant. I say that and I probably sound naive, but I I, I think Texas is strong enough to go in and that not be a factor. And so far, I think that's been something they've been able to do this year. They haven't been bit by a ton of bad penalties. And I think it's just playing smart football and knowing, Hey, any little thing you do could get twisted another way. Because these Big Twelve honchos, uh, they or Mid Twelve honchos for that matter, they they have it in for Texas and Oklahoma. They're not they're not pulling any punches. So Bobby, to, to get to, to better answer your question, if Kevin Marr is in that group, it's going to be an imbalance. Just 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 it, it's like Angel Hernandez behind the plate. The ball is <laughs> going to be nowhere near the plate, and you're going to strike out. <laughs> it, he, his, that, I don't know if it's him personally. His crew is bad. They're just bad at fit. I mean, as a crew. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This bad. All right, hey, <laughs> you are who you hang out with. Just Justin, this one's for you because I, I tell you what, 
since Saturday, I've gotten about 10 of these comments Whoa. here yeah. about Lufkin and Longview. Yeah. Uh, apparently, you went for Lufkin uh, on this one. Justin Wells, I've been waiting on you. I told you Longview would beat Lufkin by 21, and they doubled it. Ooh. 42 to nothing. Lobos for state. Mm. <laughs> what Uh-oh. are you thinking there? Did you really pick Lufkin, and then they they went 42 to nothing on them? First Ooh, the Panthers. Yes, I did. Jesse is absolutely right. And Jesse's not the only one. Uh, I had a lot of them. I'm not going to put out his name, but one of the coaches on the Longview staff was watching this, and he sent me a text. During <laughs> and so um, That's great. I still maintain Lufkin is cycling back up. I still Ooh. maintain they have way too many D1 prospects. They got a lot of good coaching, a lot of good kids in that region. It was only a matter of time. Lufkin's on the come up. The Panthers, I've seen them already this year. They're a better team. Man, you just, I underestimate. Listen, Longview is good at what they do. They are really good at what they do. They never try to divert and try to be anything other than what they're solid at. And having one of the top running backs in the country and Taylor Tatum and Oklahoma commit, um, you know, they they just put it on. They, they put it on Lufkin, and I took that one on the chin. Of course, when that game was over, I got a text from that same coach on the Longview staff and I just my reply was my God, like <laughs> you were so wrong. My I couldn't God. have been more wrong. And listen, that's always a good. That's what kills me about that that score, Bobby. That game is usually good. That game is usually close. Longview lost quite a few of their horses. Lufkin's kind of coming up, so I expected it to be kind of in the middle. Longview separated themselves from the pack. Jesse, all you guys, you got it. <laughs> eat that that's crow. the best that's man Justin can give anybody right there that's some gracious crow right there <laughs> hey uh guys uh, this one from William Nish who has a better offensive line Baylor or Wyoming uh Wyoming had a lot of upperclassmen uh Baylor uh, has got some new guys starting uh including one that they got from uh, uh BYU actually was a starter there now starting at Baylor uh but but aren't, aren't they somewhat similar at this point in time, I mean, isn't that what we kind of think? That's the problem for Dave Aranda right now is that, it, that yeah, that, that we actually have in this debate <laughs> that they are similar, that it could be a, a, a comparable, uh, you know, offensive line to Baylor's. It shouldn't be at this point, but it is. I mean, think about this is, and I like me some Dave Aranda. So, you know, I'm kind of eating crow too, because I was like, oh, man, I think Dave Aranda is going to work out for them. Um, there is no doubt that after you won the Big 12 title, Man, recruiting should have spiked. Talent acquisition should have spiked for Baylor. Uh, that's usually the case when you win a championship. For some reason with Baylor, it didn't happen that way. And that's got to fall squarely on Dave Aranda there, man. And the lines of scrimmage for Baylor, that was one of the most impressive things about Baylor like a year or two ago. That's why some of you are picking them to win the Big 12 back-to-back potentially. It's because of the lines of scrimmage. And that is kind of regressed. Uh, for Baylor. So it's possible. Hell, I had friends that, that saw the Texas State game were telling me, like, oh, man, Texas State actually, they, they're comparable to Baylor. And I'm like, really? They're like, oh, no, talent-wise. In some positions, Texas State looked like they were better. And quarterback probably is one of them right now. No question. Yeah, I mean, Sawyer Robinson is is young, and but he's going to have to step up if they're going to they're gonna make some hay in the Big 12 this year. Uh, a couple of nice uh, super chats here from guys that just had nice things to say. Daniel Kinneman, uh, JW, this is you, Justin Wells. With all the great re- recruiting news you give, here's a couple cups on me. Go close. <laughs> nice. That's your job now. you got to close them, not Sark, baby. All right, I'm <laughs> Pete Davis. I'm hooked on this show. I feel like I'm getting a Ph.D. 
in football theory from Rod. Uh, Rod definitely knows his stuff. Keith thank and Daniel, uh, thank you all so much for the super chats as well. Uh, here We're going to go to this question from uh, Daniel, uh, guys, that uh, next. Justin, looking at 2025, what are the strengths in in-state recruiting? Looking at the top 50 list, seemed like there were a number of offensive tackles and edges. What areas are weak? Strengths and weaknesses for 2025, in your opinion, in-state? Okay, it's early. Um, strengths? Wide receiver, um, I do think the offensive line is better in this cycle than in the, in the last one. Uh, I, I really like Tyler Thomas, the tackle out of Dickinson. There, I mean, well, there's a handful I really like. But I think wide receiver, top to bottom, is still strong, um, real strong. DeCorian Moore is obviously your, better, your, your, your primary guy, but there's still some other dudes, really, really good players in that mix as well. Uh, Andrew Marsh, he was on campus in Texas uh, last weekend as well. We posted a story at InsideTexas.com today, some quotes from him. Um, wide receiver, offensive line. Um, I think you're going to see an uptick in linebacker. I really like Riley Pettyjohn out of McKinney. McKinney's got some young guys. They've got some really good athletes that are coming through there right now. Running back Bryant Jackson committed to USC. Athlete safety Xavier Fosami, he's committed to Florida. But Riley Pettijohn is one I like. There's some young backers I like. Um, and then the corners. I think it's another solid corner class. Devin Sanchez, I mean, he's number, what, number five, number six uh, overall in the industry ranking overall or, or in the top ten. He, he's another out of Galena Park, North Shore. He's another one of those just 6-2, long, wiry, dog, in them type DBs. I love Devin Sanchez and Sanchez and what he can do back there. I think the safeties, I think there's some high-end safeties as well. Um, it's a good question. That, that that might actually that might actually be a post for me in the next few days to, to, to look at both of those. But uh weakness-wise, I'd like to see more tight ends. I I, I know Bear Tenney is a guy that's got an uptick in, in Texas offer, but he's from California, he's from Arizona, and I actually think USC has a pretty big lead for him right now. I'd like to see some more tight ends. Jack Van Dorsealer is, is one of my favorites. He's a big-time kid out of South Lake Carroll. Uh, Riley Dodge and those guys do a great job. He's 6'5", 245, big-time swimmer. Notre Dame is all over him. That should tell you all you need to know when you're talking about a tight end. They do amazing evaluations up there in South Bend. Um, I'd like to see more quarterbacks. I think, you, I think Texas is producing really good ones. I want to see more elite ones i want to see more of the i don't have to go out of state when this one's four hours down the road or six hours down the road or two hours down the road i'd like to see an uptick in the i think we've it's dropped in the last few years the elite elite quarterbacks in texas in in, in 2025 there's some dudes i just i i'd like i think there needs to be more of the upper echelon Wow. Interesting. Uh, Justin Yarbrough with a question here. Uh, this one for you, Rod. Uh, will our offense find their consistency? I have all the faith in the world in Sark. Just feels to me that his team, that this team is still very young and learning who they are to love, who they are. Love to hear y'all's thoughts. I've said this, Rod, you and I talked about this post game. It's a maturation process. Mm -hmm. You don't go from A to Z. You got to stop it. C, F, <laughs> M, L, all the way down the line, right? Yes. Um, and so what Texas has done their first year under Stark, five and seven. Second year, eight and five. To expect them to come out and be a, a dominant team at 13 and 0 in year three, that's just not who they are right now. That's not their, that's not 
them as a team quite yet. Uh, I One of the things I love about Sark is I feel like he's taking it in that direction in some ways with the personnel. Although when you're going to the SEC, uh, you may not be able to be dominant. Even the best teams aren't necessarily dominant every every week in the SEC. What what are your thoughts on this, though? How, how does the offense find consistency uh, and go from there, Rod? I was thinking about this earlier today, actually, and um, I think one of the issues may be for Sark, and I think the consistency is probably people want the strong finish we're getting now, but also they want the good start. Let's can we, like you said, why can't we have both? Um, I'll say this, and I, I don't, I don't want, I don't know if this is a huge deal or not, but I will say, you know, Sark last season or the first two seasons, having Bijan and Rojo there, and follow me here, right? Having Bijan and Rojo there, you know, if we can stick with the script thing, like the script analogy, it's much easier to write a script with Bijan and Rojo. Right, because they're A-listers. Hell, both those guys. Hell, Rojo's probably going to start for the Bears. Yeah, like right mid to late season, the way it's yes. looking. Bijan right now is like the second most productive running back in the league. Christian McCaffrey's the only guy ahead of him right yep. now. Right, and hell, Christian McCaffrey's probably not going to make it through the season. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to Shannon to be okay. But that, that's where those those guys are A-listers. So when you're writing a script for an A-lister like a Denzel or. A, Tom Hanks or a Christian Bale. Hell, man, it's easier to write that script. And and those guys can set – there's there's nothing that they can't do for you in the ground game, right? There's some running backs – I heard Fuzzy talking about it – that are better with power and gap schemes. Some guys are better with zone run, running blocking schemes. And even if you do have a guy like Cedric Baxter who can do it all, he's still young. He's still not a proven commodity like an A-lister like a Bijan and a Rojo. So I think for Sark in his opening script – I want to say the last couple of years have been easier for him because he had a lister that he built that script around. Boom. I know exactly what I'm doing. And these guys, I know they can do everything. They can in the passing game, pass protection, run game, whether it be power uh, blocking schemes or whether it be gap, or we're talking about zone blocking schemes. It doesn't matter. They can do everything. And even though he's got really talented pieces, I'm talking about guys going to be drafted into the NFL really high. He doesn't necessarily know. Like even JT Sam has been playing tight end for what? Two years, basically. Right, X Men. Yeah, exactly. Right, and he's a great one, but just two years. X Men had a regression last year. He's just getting back on track this year. Ad Mitchell just got here. Hell, Jay Witt. Hell, Jay Witt might be among the most dependable, and we're just happy that Jay Witt is healthy because when he's healthy, he's a baller too. So I think for Sark, he's still trying to figure out how all these pieces fit together for him. And he trusts them, but I still think he's trying to figure out what role they're going to play within the offense. And even with the running backs, I think that's also on a smaller scale happening too. So I think a little bit of patience with Sark. He, he figured out the, the, the surge late and the, the adjustments late and them to be a clutch team and the clutch gene and them to respond to adversity late. All of those things that he worked on in offseason seems to be getting returned on that investment. I think we should have a little bit more patience. I know I'm usually not the one saying that's crazy. I'm becoming a father. That's what it is. Uh, a little bit more patience with Sark in regards to him now being able to find the identity of this offense with all of these new weapons. Remember, the identity last year was simple. Put some Bijan on it with a side of Rojo. This year, it's the passing game. But how exactly does that look? We don't really know yet. I don't think Sark actually knows yet. He knows it's going to be a really lethal combination when he figures it out. But I don't know right now if he has all of the elements, you know, and that concoction perfectly put together. That's a good. Good answer, Rod. Uh, I'm speaking with Rod Babers and Justin Wells. I'm Bobby Burton. This is the uh, third uh, Tuesday night Longhorn live stream. I'm fast forwarding. I want the game to get here sooner. Um, <laughs> hey, guys, I, I want to say thank you to our sponsor. Each and every Tuesday night live stream is brought to you by the good folks over at Energy Texas. 
check out energytexas.com. They have something called the Flex Plan that allows you to adjust your energy plan each and every month at no additional charge. Go to www.energytexas.com. Uh, it's Texas Electricity, done right, 855-461-1129. That's energytexas.com. We appreciate their sponsorship. Okay, this one's going to be a little bit of a funny question for you guys. Uh, Y'all ready for it? Give it to me. All right. This is from Buddy Pal Chief Big Guy. How much money would you have to be paid personally (laughs) to attend the Oklahoma State-Iowa State game this weekend in Ames? (laughs) One team lost 10 to 7 against Ohio University. The other one, 33 to 7 against (laughs) South Alabama. I can be paid. on hard times, anyone? I mean, seriously. Buddy, pal, chief, big guy. I can be paid. I have a price. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, and I'll tell you what it is. Give it to me. G- give me the insider tips that the ISU kids have on FanDuel <laughs> before this thing goes prop bet. <laughs> if you can do that, call me. Oh, um, you're all for that. You're all for that one. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. All right. Hey, uh, I think they're coming. taking the under, guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can we ask real quick about Mike Gundy? Are we sure Mike Gundy's not trying to pull a George Costanza and get fired at Oklahoma State on purpose? Because some of the stuff that he, Oklahoma, he, he admitted he's going to play three quarterbacks again right. in the next game. He's he is so tired. He is so tired. Of co- <laughs> he's not tired of coaching. He's tired of everything else that goes into it. He's tired of recruiting. He's tired of the portal. He's tired of NIL. He had a good run with some really good teams. He was a bad night away from playing for a national championship. He has left his mark, but I'm just telling you, Oklahoma State fans need to start a countdown because Mike Gundy is not into it like he used to be. He is one of the coaches that is soured by this process you know, the Jay Wrights, the guys that are like, you know what, Jim Bayheims, hey, guys, I'll leave it to you. Mike Gundy, to me, is in that mode right now, and, and that mm-hmm. South Alabama game just slapped the tick out of him. I agree. Yeah. That's a good point, Justin. Yeah. I agree. Hey, guys, y'all notice this. I did notice this. Rob Enfield uh, says, did anyone notice the ref going after Quinn after his running TV TD? Yes. And Quinn spiked the ball. The ref was pissed and confronted Quinn. Because he, he wasn't the, supposed he to celebrate. He wasn't he allowed to celebrate because the referees are communists. They don't understand. <laughs> I can't stand this mess. Let them celebrate. <laughs> Quinn Ewers leads the team in touchdown rushes. Do y'all know that? Let yeah. him celebrate. Let him flex. Yeah, that's a guy. I didn't realize the referee that. Was like, no, 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 no. We can't have you talking. We can't have you celebrating. No, no, no. I'm on. <laughs> It's like, guys, get out of this conference as soon as possible. It's a buzz kill, man. I agree. Hey, Rod, just, just on, Justin on one tonight. No I'm on one every night. Ask for Bobby. <laughs> Bobby Petronic, will will this BUQB, uh, Sawyer Robertson, assault the sideline on, and, on picks and outs like Svoboda did for Wyoming? Svoboda. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe boot opposite of their zone, or will the space between the hashes see some action on Saturday. I, I Baylor went down the middle of the field uh, to their tight end. They liked their tight end a little bit more than Wyoming did over the middle. So I, I do know that. Uh, Rod, what are your takes on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, they tried to uh, – they went after Texas safeties a little bit, tried to go after Jaron Thompson. It's where he got the pick at the end of the game because he tried to jump that route. But 
I mean, early on, they tried him early and often with the same concept, essentially, just in different formations where they got him isolated as the uh, the safety on that slot. And then they want to see that he can cover that that deeper out uh, to the to the sideline. And they got him on it a few times until he finally jumped it. So I guarantee you, you'll see other teams try to test Texas safeties out a little bit. They went out to Keaton Crawford, too. Uh, and they went out to Ryan Watts a little bit. And I've said before, Ryan Watts, you can get off the line on Ryan Watts. Now, he's tough to get off the line on because he's long and rangy and he's really got good press uh, technique. But when you get off the line on him, that's when you can get the best of him because he doesn't have the sweetest hips. All right, They're not that fluid. And that's when you can actually, you know, uh, make a play and get some separation on Ryan Watts. Tough. It's easier said than done because he had the line of scrimmage. Like I said, he's, he's a, that's a guy that kind of cancels things out at the line of scrimmage. Uh, and they, they went after him too. So I, I think Baylor, if they're going to go after anybody in the passing game, it does make sense for them to, to replicate some of what Wyoming did because they're easy throws, right? They didn't ask uh, Savoboda to do anything complicated, vertical down the field. These are easy throws that quarterbacks warm up with on the regular at practice every damn day. And that's, I think, what they were trying to do. And I think, you know, maybe Sawyer Robertson could replicate some of that. Hey, uh, this one uh, from Mark Chanel. Baylor has better linebackers than Wyoming. That may take away the middle passing routes. They were talking, some folks were talking between themselves about JT Sanders and what's going on there. I would say this, Baylor may have more NFL caliber linebackers, potentially. Than Wyoming, I'm not so sure they're better linebackers. Wyoming had had a pair of really good. I thought Wyoming's defensive front overall was pretty darn good. Their linebackers were gap savvy. Listen, those guys that they played as a really good unit. I felt like so. I'm not gonna. I don't. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Terrell Bernard isn't walking through that door. Baylor (laughs) doesn't have the athletes that Matt Rule left. When Aranda took that job, they're not there anymore. Aranda didn't restock in that way. And so I don't know if the Baylor linebackers are even on par. That Wyoming team might win eight games. Yeah. Uh, my, well, my, I tell you what, they got a they got a they got a transfer in from Liberty that's supposed to be pretty darn good. Uh Baylor, along with uh, Matt Jones. So I, they, they Baylor has a good linebacking core. The question is, are they that much appreciably better than Wyoming? And no. I, I yeah, I, I think they're good. Don't get me wrong. I think they they may be even better. The question is appreciably better. I'm not sure Texas's linebacking core is that much appreciably better than Wyoming's. They're better, yeah. but it's not like daylight and dark, you know. Um, yeah. All right, hey Rod, this one's uh, one for you as well uh, from Rick Amberga. Uh, Rod, your point on average yards per pass to the backs in previous mm-hmm. shows was very telling. Start out throwing to backs to make the three high defenses adjust their resources to set up deep balls. You agree with that or? Um, Yeah, I mean, it depends on the coverage. They decide to play out of the three high if that works or not. Um, You can uh, if you if you're thinking about like stressing them horizontally, the three high horizontally. I think formationally is probably a better way to do it. Um, I said early, I think empty formation is probably going to be the way Sark goes. I, I think Sark's been holding back. As a matter of fact, in that Wyoming game, he he revealed some stuff he didn't want to reveal about how he was going to approach the three high. I believe Sark's been in the lab all offseason. Look at the same damn numbers that Robbie's been spouting out to you guys about how the offensive productivity drops out of three high. He knows this, and I think he's been working on some concepts to beat it, mostly the bully ball concepts. Um, but Go look at a couple of those plays in that Wyoming game where he moves JT Sanders and Gunnar Helm into the backfield. It's almost like they're, they're the fullback playing 21 personnel. 
Um, that's a little, I think, a little nugget he's throwing out there. I think he there are certain angles that he wants to attack against that three high, and I think that is helping him do it. I, I think you're going to see, just me personally, the 6-0 line package. I think when he faces those three highs, he's going to break out that 6-0 line package to play some real bully ball um, against them. And I think that's one of his little nuggets. And I think I said empty formation is going to be one of those two. And look what he did against Wyoming out of the 12 personnel, ran a lot of it. And go look at his favorite formation on that 12 personnel with that offset wing, offset flex tight end, um, and then that flex tight end right next to him. And then the minus split of the receiver, essentially creating a tripod bunch. He likes Jay Witt over there sometimes doing it because Jay Witt's a, a basically a blocker for him. He basically uses Jay Witt as another lead blocker. So I think Sark's Sark working on some things for the three high. He is. And by the way, it will be exposed. It just hasn't been around long enough for great offensive minds to pick it apart. It's only been around since like 2016. Once it's been out there for a decade plus, you'll have three high beaters all over the damn place that teams are using. It's just a relatively new thing. Yep. It's it's just like every so often people get new things in football. Mm-hmm. It's all cyclical. They all ain't. They figured out the Tampa two. Yeah, I mean, exactly. they, you know, they, they it's it'll happen for the next one too. They they figured out the Bears front. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the what is it? The one that Desert Swarm ran, the Eagle front. Oh I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it happens. Hey, this one now coming back from Buddy Powell, Chief Big Guy, and I do want to get y'all's take on this, Justin and, and Rod, using the over under of fifty one and a half and a spread of fifteen, which is the current uh, line in Vegas between Texas and Baylor. I think it started at fourteen, right? Uh, Vegas is seeing this game as a 33-18 game for Texas. Um, y- y'all feel that's about right? Uh, you know, Texas playing at Waco at night, um, give or take. I mean, you see this being a, a double-digit game like that, Justin? I do. No, I think Texas wins by double digits. I do. Um, the over-under, though, if you would have asked me after the Alabama game, I would have taken the over not just because of Texas offensive exploits, but because Baylor's defense just was atrocious. I mean, bad. Um, But after the Wyoming game, I'm hesitant because I don't know exactly how they're going to start. We've seen it kind of, you know, come out sputtering a little bit, obviously finishing strong. So, um, you know, be sure and check out Questions Answered on Friday Friday evenings with Joe Cook and myself. We talk a lot about the spread and, and things of that sort. And so that's, it's the most popular show on YouTube. I, we're, we're, we're thrilled. We're thrilled by the results. But, uh, but but really though, I like I like the over because I think at night I think Texas. Listen, this is the last time they're going to play Baylor for a long time, and I think Sark's going to come out gunning. And if they get a big enough lead, this thing is going to take the over. I definitely see it a double digit win. I just it's going to be in Waco. It's you're going to get Baylor's best punch. You obviously don't always know what's going to happen in that place. Kevin Marr and his group might show up and throw off everything. There's so many different little factors, but I would take the over. And I I think I would have Texas up a little bit more. I think 33 to 18 is pretty uh, average right now. Mm, All right, I'll, I'll go. Um... I think Texas does win by double digits. I'm with you on. I think Texas defense actually uh, comes to play. I expect some trick plays from Baylor. I just feel that in my gut. It's yeah. the last time you're going to play them. They got really nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. Right? You can save your season, guys. You beat Texas. You, made, you make a bowl game. You beat Texas. Everybody be like, hey, good job, David Randall. So I, I think some trick plays are going to be out there. Uh, so maybe Texas, I mean, maybe Texas is caught slipping with a trick play or two from, from Baylor. I'll say – I'll go. I'll go with the under. I think I, I'm. I'm. 
don't know. I'm struggling to find ways Baylor is going to be moving the football consistently against Texas with Sawyer Robinson. If you can get Sawyer Robinson, this is the problem last week, guys. You didn't get Svoboda. Did I get his name right? I probably screwed it up. You didn't get him in in third and long enough. Guys, they were only in third and long like four times. That was it. The whole damn game. So he was never in a situation where, all right, I got to get the ball down the field. And all right, I got to stay in this pocket to do it. And I know that I know them dogs is coming, but I'm gonna have to take this hit and take this punishment to get this ball down the field. He was never really in that situation. You must get Sawyer Robinson in third and long more than four times. All right, that's gonna be key. And I think if Texas can do that, then I, I think agree. Sawyer Robinson. I, I could be it. wrong, but they didn't run agree, that, much, that much. And and that that can lend itself to negative plays or stops at the line of scrimmage sometimes. It, it definitely can lead to more seven-yard runs yes. than what Wyoming popped off. But he also can get you behind the chains more often. So yeah. uh, the run scheme. Guys can penetrate. Guys can penetrate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so by the, by that very nature, you may see more, even if you see more seven-yard runs from Baylor than you saw against uh, Wyoming. Uh, hey, Rod, this one's uh, interesting for you uh, as a DB and one that I, I'd love to hear your, your – uh, comment on from go for broke rod what do you think are good ways to defend the bunch formation i saw texas play one on the line one about five years off five yards off and then one in about 10 to 12 on the inside shoulder yeah what did you yeah that's the thing about what makes bunch so effective right there are not a lot of ways that you can play it and Pretty much the best way is what Bobby said. You want to be on levels because you don't get want to get picked off. You don't want to get rubbed. All right. And usually whatever player is on the line of scrimmage, you want to put your point defender there to jam him up. All right. And you you got to get a jam. Like you're doing all of your DBs that are playing what we call tango. That's playing inside out. So basically if I'm outside DB, I'll take the outside cut. You're the inside DB. You take the inside cut. And sometimes that's crucial because they both go inside. All right. Um, so you, you play you play tango with it. And if that guy on the point, the point man doesn't get a jam to reroute that route receiver or hold him up, man, it really can throw off the, how you're going to read the route combination as it develops down the field in the release. So that's really what – and usually that guy takes him man, the point man. Usually that's something like, no, I'm not just jamming him. Now you can jam him and then drop that other guy back into a zone, but you're making it easier on those bunch formations. So usually that guy ends up playing him man-to-man. And then, like I said, there's almost a a, a an in-out – uh, principle, a tango principle, you're playing with the other two wide receivers. That's usually the best way, and you got to be at levels, but it creates space. It automatically creates space, and you cannot compress that space because you're going to get rubbed or picked if you do. So it's the ultimate uh, kind of test in patience for the defensive backs. And like I said, it works really well against Texas because Texas wants to be aggressive, and it forces you to be reactive and not aggressive. So I, I wish I could give you a better way to play the bunch formation. You can play a traditional zone with it, but traditional zones usually that, you know, you still got a lot of, you know, voids in that traditional zone as well. Got it. Uh, David Williams, uh, this is a, a, a kind of where I come out a little bit on this too, guys. Uh, the Texas defense is giving up an average of 14.7 points through three games. The defense should not give up more than 14 points to Baylor. The offense finally needs to score more than 40. I don't disagree with that. I do think that the clock rules have had an effect on scoring overall. Yes. Um, guys, uh, Baylor has not been prolific on offense this season. They, they, they just haven't been very good. Um, part of that may be, for whatever reason, the, the, the inconsistency with quarterback Blake Shapin 
being out really kind of kind of hurt them, uh, kneecapped them a little bit. Uh, so if if that's the case, is Texas going to give up that? Can are they really going to give up fourteen to twenty to lose this game potentially? I mean, that would have to be an an unbelievable performance by the Baylor defense, I think, which we don't know either that or Quinn Ewers starts throwing it to the people in green. Right. I mean, which he doesn't do. He's not. No, he, he has not typically no, done not that. Um, you know, although he should have been picked at least once against in all fairness, yes, against Wyoming. What, what, what are y'all's thoughts on this? I mean, is there, do y'all see a way Baylor wins this game? Is it, is it following the MO of what, um, Wyoming did and kind of burning out the clock and then just trying to play keep away a little bit. Justin, I see you shaking your head. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think Rod and I are going to say the same thing. I kind of expect that from everyone on the rest of the schedule in some, some sort of capacity. I really do. Um, That that's kind of, that's kind of where you're at, you know, Um, this defense, you're going to have a few, listen, there's still a lot of youth. In that in that in that linebacker core, like Anthony Hill, that big run they they gave up against Wyoming was was Anthony Hill shooting the wrong gap, and I mean it took Texas what three or four years to get a kid to shoot the gap. I mean I think Gary <laughs> Gary Johnson was the last one to do it well, and yeah. so um, to me it's you're, you can have those type of busts, and Richard Reese is the type of guy that can go seventy. So that's a seven. There's there there's a busted play that goes for. For seven, then you give up a couple field goals because you might give up a big play. You don't have good field position. You turn the ball over. Baylor will stay in the game because of these new clock rules if they shorten the game, and, and that's I mean, shorten shortening the snaps, taking snapping the ball, you know, at three and four and three seconds left, you know, on the clock. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we're going to see a lot of schools do this, yeah. not not just Baylor. I mean. Kansas, I think they're going to be a little more wide open. Oklahoma with Levy is definitely going to try more of the veer and shoot, just like last year. Um, but and TCU will probably open it up a little bit more as well. But I think for a lot of these guys on the schedule, they're going to try to shorten the game because they know Texas has so many mismatches, and you get any of those number of guys in space, and that's trouble quickly. Yeah. Also, they have the depth too. Their depth, listen, on the, this is another key thing on the defensive line for Texas. Bo Davis was great about this last year, and I was hoping he could duplicate it. Do you know only Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy took over 30 snaps in any games this year? Wow. Like that rotation is so short up. And I think that was the, the Alabama game that they played. Hmm. I think Sweat had 34, Murphy had 33. Wow. And so they are they are fresh. Gentlemen, these guys are fresh. And I think that is as big a factor as anything because these teams are going to play down to the clock. It's it's going to be like bleeding the clock in high school and basketball mm-hmm. when you when you get overmatched and you can't run up and down the floor with them. What are you going to do? You're going to run four corners. And 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 I I, I don't necessarily agree with that mentality or that method. But Aranda's coaching for a win. Aranda's coaching for his job. Yep. Saturday could you know a win over a win over Texas gives Aranda more goodwill in Waco that he's had in probably a year. A loss, we probably – we might see a press conference in the next few weeks. Yeah, that, that mm. would be weird. That would be – No, listen, I've talked that to – That would be from the penthouse to the outhouse pretty quick for David. In the Baylor – In the Baylor booster – Two years ago Baylor, won, the, won the Big 12. In the Baylor booster realm, I've been told Mac Rhodes is a businessman and this isn't it. And when it comes down – when he starts to look at the numbers of it – that's when a decision's being made. And don't forget, 
Baylor's a basketball school right now, and it has been ever since our brows left. And I and, and they still get a good chunk of what comes through there. And I don't know if that helps or hurts the football program. I don't think it helps. I, I, I will say this. Ooh. Baylor's been a great basketball program in the last few years, right? Um, all right. Uh, Rod, Justin, I think that's going to about do it for tonight. Uh, I want to get one final question in here. And it's from uh, my friend Bobby Batronic. He had a he had a follow up, Rod, on something that you asked, and I don't I can't find it right now. But he asked once you start learn they start learning your calls on those rub routes or, yeah. or those uh, uh, what yeah. do you call them the bunch formation. Mm-hmm. Once they start learning your communication with your teammates on defense, don't they just change and alter what they're going to do as a as a uh, byproduct of that so they actually uh, try to figure out what you're calling and then run the opposite of it yeah i mean you could have guys who are that savvy right who are basically going back to the sideline saying coach uh they're tango and they're playing inside out coverage hey can we basically give them a, a route with some misinformation right debate that would be like uh say we're playing inside outs and the inside receiver runs a he runs a, a, an out and up Right. And then the uh, and then the the outside receiver, let's say that he runs, uh, a, a, you know, kind of a, a post route or a, a skinny post or something like that. And that can really throw off the the cues and the keys that we're trying to, to read as DBs. So, yeah, that can happen. I mean, that's just that's part of it. Um, we have our rules in Tango uh, that we're supposed to follow and that's supposed to add kind of be fail safes. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you can violate and break those rules. That is literally what. Offenses are trying to do all the time. They're troubleshooting, trying to find ways that they can violate the rules that bind the structural integrity of your defense. They're doing it. it constantly, constantly doing it. Got it. <laughs> all right. That's Rod Babers, guys. Justin Wells of Inside Texas and On 3, as well as On Texas Football. Uh, that's been the, the uh, Tuesday night live stream. Rod and Justin, you guys are awesome. Uh, like and subscribe for more of the best Longhorn coverage here on the live stream. Also, please remember you can get a subscription to Inside Texas right now. We have a special going on uh, two months for just $1. Use the promo code OTFIT23. That's OTFIT23. $1 for two months. Important here, you have to select the monthly offer to get this special offer uh, going on now. Uh, Give us a call or give us a try. I promise uh, it's the best news and information site out there as it relates to anything on the Texas Longhorns. Uh, Jerry Hamilton, myself, and Blake Moore, uh, Monroe will be back tomorrow morning uh, with the little coffee and football for Rod, Justin, and Bobby. Y'all, hook them. Hook them. <laughs>